The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion by the Reverend Chuck Tedrick, Dean of Students at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this chapel message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Well, good morning, friends. It is my privilege to welcome you to our chapel devotions this morning, and also my privilege to take us through a series on Tuesday mornings uh, regarding the Lord's Prayer, and we'll kind of unpack each of the phrases, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, of course using the scripture, and also we'll be using the Heidelberg Catechism as well. And so on the Tuesdays that I'm able to be uh, with you, that's what we'll be going through. And then we have a series of guest speakers as well on Tuesdays who will be bringing um, opening up the word from passages that they have selected. But I thought today we'd have an introduction just talking about why pray. Prayer is, as the catechism says, the chief part of gratitude, our thankfulness to the Lord. But it's often one of the hardest things to do. It's one of the most neglected things that we do and one of the most misunderstood things that we do. And if we're honest, it's one of the most seemingly pointless things or frustrating things that we do at times, seemingly pointless. And in Dr. Johnson's commentary on the book of Acts, he writes this about prayer. He's specifically speaking about uh, the book of Acts, but I think it applies here as well. I think these questions that he asks are great. Dr. Johnson says, how would a vivid consciousness of the presence of Jesus affect the prayer life of the church? Prayer is often portrayed as a Christian duty. It is often enjoined upon us in exhortations heavily laced with guilt inducers, like the holiday phone commercial that scolds wayward adults. Call your mother. The de this definition of prayer as a duty, though not wrong, often leaves the impression that we have an uncomfortable obligation to a distant loved one who is out of touch with our daily lives. At the opposite extreme are pastors and teachers who try to move us to pray by portraying Jesus as our buddy, our pal, who's eager to hear our monologues of self-pity and to come to our assistance. Here, too, there is a grain of truth. Jesus is compassionate, and he does bring help to those who turn to him in faith. But the casual and self-centered embellishment added to that grain puts the truth out of focus. Acts shows us what prayer is like when praying people recognize the presence of Jesus as Lord. It is, a, it is joyful and confident for the one who is Lord is among us to hear our needs. There is awe-filled fear when we recognize his terrifying holiness. There is a preoccupation not with ourselves or our ailments or our comforts, conveniences, hurt feelings, but with the great cause of the King who walks in our midst. We ask to receive from his hand whatever will make us serviceable to him, useful for his saving purposes. We pray not because we must, but because we may. Not out of lusts for his gifts, but out of love for the giver. Not to bend his will to ours, but to, end our, to bend our will to his. I think that's a really helpful parameter for us as we'll be looking at this this morning and then throughout the series. And today, I just want to ask three brief questions. Why is prayer so difficult? 
To whom do we pray? Because the who of prayer shapes the why and the how of prayer. And then why do we pray? But I'd like to read for us from God's word in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we read this. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Well, let's ask that question or consider why is prayer so difficult? Our natural desire to pray comes from creation. Our difficulties and troubles with prayer come from the fall. In glory, it will be completely natural, peaceful, and a joyous occasion to be in communion and fellowship with the Lord. The tension now, of course, comes from the fall. There are multiple reasons why prayer may be difficult. One of them is because it's difficult to pray because, honestly, we're not good at it. If you're like me at all, sometimes you have started to pray and 10 seconds in, or maybe that's even too generous, five seconds in, you're no longer praying to God, but you're in conversation with an imaginary partner or someone that you're in conflict with or talking or thinking about something or just so easily distracted. So one of the reasons why it's difficult to pray is because we're not good at it or we think we're not good at it or we're comparing ourselves to others. Another reason why it's difficult to pray is because we've often been disappointed with the answers that we've received. We've gotten a yes when we've wanted a no. We've gotten a no when we've wanted a yes. And then that one that we get so often that we don't like is wait. (laughs) I want patience and I want to be long-suffering and I want it now. We constantly want everything right now, but the Lord sometimes and often even says, wait. Because the weight is the stuff of sanctification. The weight is the stuff of conforming us more and more to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. It is the thing that inculcates contentment or patience or peace or long-suffering, being conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. So it's difficult sometimes because we've been disappointed by the answers. It's also difficult to pray sometimes because we feel silly There's an oddness to it, a a, a difference than everything else we do in our life. We do not see or hear directly or immediately from the Lord as we do when we're talking to our friends, if we're sitting down with them at a coffee shop or across the dinner table. It It seems like we're talking to ourselves, and we have that nagging thought in the back of our minds that only crazy people do that, right? Only crazy people talk to themselves. So there's an element of difficulty to it because it's odd, it's different than everything else that we do and every other relationship that we have. 
It's also difficult to pray sometimes because we don't believe that it matters. We sometimes even ask ourselves, why pray to a sovereign God? But we recognize that God uses means, doesn't he? God has ordained both the means and the ends of caring for his church and caring for the world and caring for us. So our prayers are the very means that God has used. Don't be more Calvinistic than Calvin or more Calvinistic than the Bible. We pray to a sovereign God because God sovereignly ordains and uses the means of prayer. There's no conflict, conflict between the sovereignty of God and the prayers of God's people. They are in harmony is the way God has ordained it to use these very means. It should strike us that Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, prayed. Think about that reality that if it is meaningless or useless to pray to a sovereign God, think about Jesus' life. He was a man dedicated to prayer. As a matter of fact, the Lord's Prayer, as it comes to us in Luke, is response to the disciples seeing Jesus pray and asking him, teach us to pray. Jesus prayed. Think about that. The Son of God, the eternal God, prayed. He prayed when he was in conflict. He prayed when he was in pain. He prayed when he was in need. He prayed in intercession. He prayed in praise. He prayed in hope. And recognize, beloved, that you are the answer to someone else's prayer. God uses means. I guarantee you that your parents or your siblings or an aunt or an uncle or a grandma or a grandpa or a pastor or an elder, somebody prayed for you. Somebody prayed for you that you would know the Lord, that you would walk with the Lord, that you would be sanctified and grow in God's grace. And Jesus himself prayed for you. We looked at his intercessory prayer for us in the Garden of Gethsemane or the night before that he was betrayed when he prayed not only for the disciples who were with them, but all those who would believe through the word, which is you. You were prayed for by Christ himself as well as, I am sure, by other brothers and sisters. Another reason why it's difficult to pray is because we're so busy. One theologian said that when we slow down to pray, We find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments and production, but prayer seems to be nothing but talking to God. It feels useless, as if we are wasting our time. Every bone in our body screams, get up and get to work. And here there's often a false dichotomy or a false alternative in our world. I've heard uh, senators recently or um, house members say, when some calamity has come and people call for the nation to pray, They say, don't pray, do something. I would say, pray and do something. We want to go to the Lord. He's the one who's in control of all of these things. He's in the one who can do something about these things. He's the one who can answer our prayer and make us useful both to him and to our neighbor. So we do both. It's not either we pray or we do something, but we pray and we do something. And in our prayers, even recognize or ask God to show us those things over which we can do nothing. It's also difficult to pray because we believe we can or are doing okay without God. Thus, praying sometimes seems unnecessary to us. Money does whatever prayer does, but quicker, we think. 
And here this is where our tradition and our brothers and sisters have gone before us and show us so well, as Martin Luther likes to talk about, that God hides behind masks. He hides behind the mask of the milkmaid and the baker and the dairy farmer and the doctor and the teacher and the friend and the neighbor and even the sun and the moon. That God is doing these things and he's doing these things for us, but he's using means to do them. We prayed, or most of you prayed last week in your church or at home in one way or another for your daily bread, and the Lord fed you this week. I would be shocked if any of you came and told me that you just happened to open up your refrigerator and your pantry, and there was food there that you didn't buy. It was just full of things. The Lord provided for that. The Lord provided that through many means, and he provided for everybody along that whole chain to provide for them as well. And there are many other reasons why it's difficult to pray. The last one I'll focus on is that because we are cynical and because we live in a cynical world. And cynicism is an easy sell, isn't it? Cynicism claims to see what's really going on and thinks that everybody else is a moron and they don't get it. Cynicism itself leads to distance. There's no real hope and there's no real intimacy with the cynic. The cynic just simply critiques. It's passive, it's cooing. And cynicism is often very self-congratulatory. Satan's first words were cynical, weren't they? Has God really said? In cynicism, we cannot pray because everything is either out of control or little is possible or it doesn't matter. But that's not the way of the world. That's not the way of the Christian life. God is in control. Much is possible. As a matter of fact, the impossible is possible with God. He can do far more abundantly than all we ask or even think, and our prayers matter greatly. And so we recognize that there is difficulty to prayer. It's not an easy thing to do. But the second thing we want to look at is to whom do we pray? Because the why or the how of prayer are really connected to the who. And I want to flesh this out a little bit more next week as we look at the first petition, Our Father, who art in heaven. But just want to recognize here that to whom we pray matters. And that Christian prayer is not a performance. It's not an art. It's not a technique. But it's a relationship. Our Father. Prayer is not a solo. It's not a monologue. David Paulison said that prayer is a conversation where your life and your God meet. And in the text that we looked at in Matthew, it noted two wrong ways to pray, either as the hypocrites who are really just playing a part, they don't really believe, they're not disciples, they're just acting a part, or the Gentiles who just heap up phrases seeking to appease God or be heard by others. But the text is really drawing a a strong adversative. But you, but you disciples, you're different. You're not the hypocrite. You're not the Gentile, but you, your father, go into your room. Your father in heaven will hear you. And recognize that this prayer is not given to us by a yogi or a guru or a sage, but by the eternal son of God. Philip Ryken, in commenting on this passage, said, It is not surprising that Jesus prays, my Father, as that has been his relationship for all of eternity. What is surprising and delightful is that he calls us, he commands us, he invites us to call his Father our Father too. 
because we are united to him, because we are his disciples, because he has made us, transferred us from being rebels to being heirs, from being dead in Adam to being alive in Christ, from being lost and dead in our unrighteousness to live in Christ and his righteousness. To whom do we pray? To the one true God, to the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit, who is the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, who, the one who not a hair can fall from our head without his will. He's not a despot. He's not an indifferent parter, party. As the Belgic Confession says about God, he is the almighty, everywhere present, all-wise, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, just, good, creator God who is the overflowing fountain of all good. He is our father. He loves us. He gives to us. He serves us. He hears us. He cares for us. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give us all things. This is what the Heidelberg Catechism is getting at when it talks to us about prayer. It says, why has God commanded us to address God as our Father? And it says to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer what should be basic to our prayer, a childlike reverence and trust, that through Christ, God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith then will our parents refuse us the things of this life. So the who of prayer. We're praying to the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who loves us, the one who redeemed us, the one who chose us from before the foundation of the world, the one who sent his own son to pay the penalty for our sin, for our estrangement, to reconcile us to him to make us joint heirs with Christ, the one who is welcoming us and inviting us and calling us to him, the one who regenerates us and adopts us and declares us his, his beloved now and always. It's so, it's to him that we pray in the confidence and the freedom of that relationship, of that reconciliation through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in conclusion then, why pray? Why pray? Well, we pray because we can. It's a privilege for us. It's a gift for us to be able to pray. We pray because God uses means, like we talked about in the first point. God uses the means of our prayer for the purposes of his church and for the purposes of the world and for the purposes of our sanctification and for the purposes to bring about his will. Our prayers matter. They have eternal and cosmic significance. We also pray because of our necessity and our want. We recognize that we are dependents of the Lord. Dr. Michael Horton said that prayer is a declaration of dependency. We recognize that we need from him or are calling out to him for everything that we need, both in body and soul, our daily bread, our daily forgiveness. We need him. For everything, in body and soul, in life and in death, material and spiritual, every good gift to us, everything that we need, comes to us from the Father, in the Son, through the Holy Spirit, and so that we pray because we recognize that we are dependent. We are dependent upon the Lord for everything, and that we are loved by him and adopted by him. And we pray because God delights in hearing from his children. 
That may be hard for us to believe at times, but he wants to hear from us. He delights to hear from us. He calls, he calls us to come. We pray because we do not just want to receive the gifts of God, but to commune with the God of the gifts. We want to commune with the giver. We also pray because prayer changes us. Dennis Johnson said, Learning to pray does not offer us a less busy life, but it may offer us a less busy heart. In other words, we pray because there are so many different circumstances in our life that sometimes trouble us. He says, come to me, cast all of your anxieties on me because I care for you. He may or may not change the circumstances, but he has said that he will change us. He will sanctify us. Our life may not get less busy, but our heart may be less busy. As we bring these things to him, as we call upon him, as we turn to him and cast our anxieties and cares on him, knowing that he cares for us. We do pray because God commands us or calls us. But I wanted to put it lower on the list. Like Dennis Johnson said, or, or like I read from Dennis Johnson in the opening introduction, so often that's the first thing, like a duty or a command. It is those things. But in addition, it, it comes in a context. It comes in a context of him creating and redeeming us and calling us and equipping us. We ultimately pray because we recognize that everything we have comes from the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. We pray because we are grateful children and we are citizens of the kingdom. And we pray in confidence of being heard. As Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In other words, we don't pray in the hopes that we will become children of God. We pray because we are the children of God which is a divine work. God sent the spirit of his son into your heart, enabling you to call out, Abba, Father, our Father. I want to read just again in conclusion how the quote that I said from Dennis Johnson. How would a vivid consciousness of the presence of Jesus affect the prayer life of the church? Prayer is often portrayed as a Christian duty, it is often enjoined upon us in exhortations heavily laced with guilt inducers, like the holiday phone commercial that scolds wayward adults, call your mother. The definition of prayer as a duty, though not wrong, often leaves the impression that we have an uncomfortable obligation to a distant loved one who is out of touch with our daily lives. At the opposite extreme are pastors and teachers who try to move us to prayer by portraying Jesus as our buddy or our pal, eager to hear our monologues of self-pity and to come to our assistance. Here, too, there is a grain of truth. Jesus is compassionate, and he does bring help to those who turn to him in faith. But the casual and self-centered embellishment added to that grain puts the truth out of focus. Acts, Scripture shows us what prayer is like when praying people recognize the presence of Jesus as Lord. It is joyful and confident for the one who is Lord and Christ is among us to hear our needs. There is an all-filled fear when we recognize his terrifying holiness. There is preoccupation not with ourselves or our ailments or our comforts, our conveniences or our hurt feelings, but with the great cause of the king who walks in our midst. 
We ask to receive from his hand whatever will make us serviceable to him and useful for his saving purposes. We pray not because we must, but because we may. Not out of lust for his gifts, but out of love for the giver. We pray not to bend our will, his will to ours, but our will to his. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we do have of prayer. That we can come before you knowing that you love us. And that when we ask you for bread, that you will not give us a stone. We thank you that you have manifested your love for us by sending your own son, Jesus, to bridge the chasm between your holiness and our sin. We recognize that in him we have all that we need for faith and for life. We have the forgiveness of sins, that we have a righteousness imputed to us, that we have been reconciled to you, that we have peace with you now, that we are regenerated, that we are adopted, that we are loved, and that there is nothing in all of creation that will ever be able to separate us from your love. And Father, we admit that it's difficult to pray at times. It's difficult to believe. We believe, but help our unbelief. Please strengthen us through your word and through your spirit. And as we attend our churches on the Lord's Day, through the means of grace as well, Father, we pray that you would conform us ever more and more to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then in light of who we are, that we would seek to love our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2021, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.